BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Rachel True. And I'm Trent Venegas. And you're listening to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. The 100-day podcast that celebrates what would have been the 100th birthday of the man that created Star Trek. Each day between now and the end of our podcast, August 19th, one of Star Trek's biggest icons, or celebrity fans, or both, will be quoting Gene Roddenberry. Then we're going to take a deep dive into why we think this sci-fi legend still has a lot to say to the world. country author Matt Ruff. I know that to me, the whole purpose of writing is to make statements. And we would love to welcome back our guest host this week, artist, advocate, singer-songwriter William Matthews. William, welcome back to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right, who wants to jump in first with this short but sweet quote? You know, I, when I heard this quote, I actually like wrote down a whole thing because it kind of got me thinking about the work of writing and how the work of writing is not for the faint of heart. And the reason <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, re- the reason is because what happens like in our inner life is can be a library of experiences and in, including interpretations of those experiences. But there's something that happens when you have to put it on a page, when you have to actually put it in front of you, you either feel proud or you feel embarrassed or you're like, that actually doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or maybe I'm not communicating this right, you know, but either way it forces you writing forces you to define who you are, what you believe, how you see the world. Like everyone sees from a slant, right. And everyone sees from a perspective and it forces you to own your perspective, own your slant, own that thing that, that you believe or see about the world that uh, maybe is hard for other folks to digest. And, and it seems like Gene with Star Trek was constantly doing that. He was writing politically. He was writing socially. It was social critique. And he was making statements. <laughs> he, was, he was making, you know, value judgments about the world and saying, this is what doesn't work. And this could be better. We could see this way. We could be this way. Humanity doesn't have to hoard power. <laughs> Humanity doesn't have to be uh, greedy. Humanity doesn't have to have war and poverty and hunger. And Gene constantly is rerouting us from like these debased ways of thinking that we've all just grown up with to say, hey, we could be more. And he was making statements and his writing, it shines through so much of his writing. Kind of gives me hope that ultimate power may not corrupt. I mean, again, who knows what was going on outside of the quotes, but I see so much awareness, right, of of the fellow man, as you pointed out, William, and it is kind of heartwarming. The other thing about this quote that strikes me is um, I know that to me, the whole purpose of writing is to make statements because I get hit up by a lot of young writers now. And I am pretty sure Mr. Roddenberry and the writing staff of Star Trek rewrite their stuff. So I just want to throw that out there to people that your first draft is amazing that you've completed it. It is a thing to behold and celebrate. It is not the thing to send out to people. It's mm-hmm. not. It's pro- unless you're, uh, you know, one or two people. It is perfect when they their first draft. But for the rest of us, writing to get to actually make a statement, 
needs thought, needs rewriting and parsing. And it's okay that the first thing you write is not perfect. There's no shame in that. That is actually normal. Correct? Mm-hmm. Trent, yeah. you rewrote your blogs back in the day, right? He's like, no, uh, I didn't, Rachel. <laughs> uh, no, all the blog posts that I wrote were perfect in their <laughs> first inception. Um, but, you know, because of the the nature of the way that I wrote on a daily basis, it wasn't really like rife for rewriting. But I did learn that over the course of writing over 12 years that my writing got better. I, I saw what what worked, what didn't work. Well, and it's there a blog would be... versus book versus exactly, script exactly, would be the difference, exactly. too. Because I do feel like blogs are writing, but they're a little more ephemeral, meaning, you know, they're daily mm-hmm. and they kind of go well, away, free-form, right? Yeah. And mine was more like journal, like a journal and a lot more commentary. So all of my opinions were perfect as they sprung from my head onto my keyboard. Uh... <laughs> so what is it we're trying to say when we write is, is the other thing, right? Because a lot of people will want to write a script or a thing or a thing. And what is it you're trying to say? And mm-hmm. I think that's a question that actually stumps more people than you'd think because they're trying, well, I just want to tell my story. And I'm like, yes, yes. But what is it about that story yep. that you're saying? What is the statement in that story that's going to resonate for everyone? And a lot of people will say to me, but my story. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> man, everyone's got a story. So how do we take this story and make a statement out of it rather than I'm just sharing my own experience because I want you to know about me, right? And Jean, these things are about all of us. It is not just about Gene's yeah. way of thinking because he had in people who had different statements who thought, Otherwise, from half these quotes we're saying, right? So it's food for thought. And that's kind of the world of Star Trek, right? Having these different perspectives. You have these different characters who have very different, they come from different cultures, different planets, different parts of the quadrant. (laughs) And they have, Mm -hmm. you know, different perspectives. We talked, you know, one of the other episodes about Deep Space Nine, you know, being particularly my favorite. But I think particularly that series showed the contrast of each character's statements, right? You know, you had... You know, Major Kira, who, you know, comes from a former terrorist, you know, who's now part yep. of this like new military government. And now she's being forced to work with the Federation. But there's all this trauma around like we were occupied once before by the Cardassians. Right. And then they're they're both like making statements coming from their value positions like, you know, her and Cisco, especially early on, like really mm-hmm. ruffling each other's feathers and not one was better than the other, especially in that series. Right. It wasn't like Federation dominance. Right. It was all. These voices, the Ferengi had a voice. But when you think about it, to be that fair and give everyone a voice, that's amazing, Mm -hmm. Trent. It is. Yeah, and what I love about that relationship that you mentioned, uh, William, between Major Kira and Benjamin Sisko, like they both represented these big things. So Commander Sisko, the Federation, and Kira, the Bajoran military, whole planet, the whole their their religion, everything, and throughout the course of the series. They both were able to stand their ground and advocate for their perspectives and not uh, overshadow one another and work in concert. And what I what I really love about how the end of that series happened was that uh, Bajor never really joined the Federation. Like they the whole entire time they stayed uh, as a cooperative, you know, uh, they had a cooperative relationship, but Bajor did not at the end become part of the federation which no. is which is such a great part of that story in that these two entities were not diametrically opposed and and ultimately did not even absorb one another they were mm-hmm. able to work in concert to you know to further both of their ends by the end of the series yeah their perspective and their their opinions like you said were valued and they were heard mm-hmm. and and 
there was space for it all. Like Gene says here, yeah. like to write is to make statements. And I think if everyone can recognize that in the other, then we can, we really could see each other better instead of accusing or blaming, you know, the other is constantly operating in bad faith. And it's like, no, 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 you are really coming. What is your perspective? Where are you actually coming from? What is the thing that makes you tick? I want to understand. And that even thing. though your statement that you've written is right for you, understanding that other people have their own statements they do. You mm -hmm. know, and their own things that are true for them. So I love all these quotes for trying to bring together those worlds rather than saying, I'm right. My statement is right. You know, uh, because what one thing I understand is not everyone thinks like me through the prism of Rachel at all. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And it would be really boring and weird if the whole world was just <laughs> like me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's also important to talk about the statement that author Matt Ruff made with his book, uh, Lovecraft Country, where he took, you know, the very, uh, you know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, a very celebrated fantasy writer who is racist, loved by many and was a racist. <laughs> and in the course of this book, Matt decided to turn all of that on its end to focus the story on Black excellence and to also signal to sci-fi, fantasy, quote-unquote, geek fans of color that they are also being written to, uh, that we are, you know, that uh, we are an audience that deserves our own stories or stories that resonate with us. Uh, and that was, to me, a statement very clearly that uh, Mr. Ruff is making. And with for his book. me, it was, it was saying, listen, brown people who know that the original author, Lovecraft, was super racist, mm -hmm. that you can claim some of these stories, right? Because mm -hmm. it's been a huge struggle for me all my life with art. One of the first acting scenes I did was a Rainer Fassbinder thing. And I was like, he's a real Nazi, right? But the scene was a really good scene. So that was the beginning of me going, huh. A lot mm. of artists out there, I do not agree with their ideology. And yet the art, yeah. the paintings, the art, the Lovecraft stories, because I, I love some H.P. Lovecraft stories, right? But then I, yeah. as a teenager, was like, oh, but he was really racist, so now I can't like yeah. them. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a weird pain, William, right? It's not a, yeah, and what's... It's not always a binary, and that's what can be really hard when you come to new awakenings, right, is when we actually try to understand the influence and prevalence of systemic racism through our own history, right, through our culture, it does become a bummer, right, where you're like, oh, man, so-and-so is racist. Should, can I even yeah. listen to anything they've ever said or do? And I, I, I do think they're worth questioning at that point, right? Yeah. It's worth interrogating. But it's not, it's not always a binary. It's never an either-or. It's always a both and more. And people are complex and people are complicated. And, and, and someone who can be really terrible in one space and can do something really amazing in another. And not, sorry to interrupt, but not just Lovecraft, like uh, Coco Chanel. <laughs> Guy yeah. Chanel, yeah. lipstick and clothing. She was a Nazi. Now, the company yeah. was bought by a Jewish man who funded her before and after. So I'm not saying it is a Nazi company at all. What I'm saying, though, is that is a part of Chanel's history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. the entire American project. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the you. actual Thank history. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's the things inside the American project, and then there's the the whole kit and caboodle, right? Like yeah. it it is problem. It's more than problematic, <laughs> but it's not all of who we are. You know, like all the bad things are not all of what has happened. Like we have, 
you, yes, we have a history of racism, but we also have a history of liberation. William, what's your yeah. answer? This I'm selfishly asking because on Twitter people will say to me, well, you know, black people own slaves too. And I'm like, that ain't got shit to do with shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, first off, everyone around the world, slavery was a, 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 a global cultural The norm. word slave comes from Slavic. They were the slaves yeah, before yeah. the slaves. <laughs> everyone, everyone owns slaves. I think the difference that was the issue of chattel slavery and, right. and the industry of slavery, which which was a very European thing in terms of like no one else on the world stage it, was shipping that amount of human beings it, back and forth. It was forth. also like, the first time we were like, it's going to be by color only. Before that, it was yeah. you could be any group and we're going to enslave you because we conquered your yeah. land. So, yeah. yeah. And and there's and we know anti-blackness is a global phenomenon too, right? Like it's like you look at any culture in human history and who's always been at the bottom. It's people with the darker skin, and so we know humanity has a has a problem Which here. Which when that. global warming comes and the sun burns everybody up, <laughs> William and I and maybe Trent, he's very light. Uh, we'll yeah, still we're gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, I always so thought yes. it was so weird that melanin melanin was maligned. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I love my well, color, first of all, but second of all, it, it simply protects brown people from the sun in Africa. Yeah. As I pointed out, white people have thinner noses because that's better for breathing breathing Nordic colder air. This yeah. nose filters yeah. warmer air better. Exactly. It's science. Everyone, everyone came from Africa, right? Like we know that. Like well, not according least, to some new science thing. They're gonna uh, take it, it away from they Africa as hard it. as they can, <laughs> William. They are although, trying. Although. Not Mother Although Africa. One of Gene's quotes, he made it very clear that he aligned with that belief that life originated in Africa. Yeah, well, and also Northern William Central had Africa. a good point that, like, hey man, the pyramids were built by people. He actually said one of our quotes was that because, um, again, when I was a kid and space exploration and aliens was really big, I'm like, yeah, the pyramids were built by aliens, but it didn't occur to me how anti-black that was. Yep. They were there built by is. slaves, first of all. But <laughs> yeah. they were yeah. built by brown people on the continent of Africa and Egypt. So Well, because people can't even fathom that we would be that intelligent. That's right. right. That because hey, people listening, your or... numbers are Arabic. Do you know what that is? <laughs> yes. You know what Roman numerals are? Those are those letters that I love. I love Roman numerals, <laughs> but you can't do yeah. math with that shit. Yeah. Arabic but... numbers. From where? Brown people in the Middle East. Brown people in the Middle East. <laughs> and also, let's not forget the pyramids of Central America. Of course. Where That's my, right, the Aztec. Uh, Aztec and, and yeah. Mayans. But to, you guys, to bring it back too. to the quote, um, I know that to me, the whole purpose of writing is to make statements. I felt like I felt that when I was writing my book. I also felt like if you're going to write on a well-trod subject, you must add something new to the mix. Right. Uh, otherwise, yes. you're just kind of regurgitating and that's fine, too. But I wanted to add something in new. And I think, what is the new statement you're adding to what has already been said? How can we push this conversation forward? Like that should be the thing we're always asking. And, and clearly Gene was doing that using sci-fi as a vehicle to say, how can we push social critique forward? How can we push racial critique forward? How can we push yeah. justice forward? William, I'm sure you know this, but he had, a, uh, uh, Mr. Roddenberry had originally wanted the bridge to be 50% women, 50% men, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, to think if that networks <laughs> networks <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys we're gonna um wrap up today's episode we've got william matthews for a few more super stoked about that and if you want to check out video of matt ruff reading today's quote you can check it out on our social media accounts on facebook twitter and instagram and we hope you'll join the three of us again tomorrow for another episode of quoting gene roddenberry ciao Thanks for joining us for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's quote. So tweet us, post us, DM us, whatever. We're at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook and at Roddenberry Official on Instagram. Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a Roddenberry podcast hosted by me, Rachel True. And me, Trent Venegas. Producing are Claire Kramer and Kelsey Goldberg with executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Engineering and editing are provided by Elizabeth Joy Windham. And special thanks to all those who were kind enough to read a quote and give a voice to Gene Roddenberry's everlasting words. Live long and prosper. 